And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. These verses and the ones that follow in Acts chapter 2 provide us with a glimpse inside the early Christian church. They were a community of Jesus' followers who passionately lived out their faith. The New Testament epistles expand on many of the activities spoken of in these verses and suggest they are essential aspects of a healthy Christian experience. Are you part of a vibrant community of Christ followers called a local church? Do you experience authentic biblical community in your everyday life? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. chapter 2 says this about the first Christian church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today, Ron returns to the book of Acts to give us a glimpse into the life of the early church and to encourage us to uphold the original tenets upon which it was founded. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to hear any of Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's our new and improved website, somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, Community Life. Part of the purpose of the church is to do ministry, to grow in the grace of giving, 1 Corinthians 9 says. How far have you grown in that in the last six years or the last six months or the last six weeks? Some of you haven't grown much. I'm going to get in your grill just a little bit if you don't mind, all right? It's budget time at the church. I didn't plan this message because, I mean, we're just going to study the book of Acts, but we're, we're in that kind of two-month cycle. We're evaluating the budget for next year and so forth, going to the finance committee, all that kind of stuff with the elders. It just grieves my heart every time we go through this process and we say there's not enough. We are tight, tight, tight. And I know because of studies that I've read, and not much has changed over the years, the average church-going person today gives about, oh, 2.2 or 3% of his income to the church, far short of a tithe, which is 10%, and what I believe is the starting point in our giving. Minimum expression of generosity found in the Scriptures is a tithe. We are well below that on average in the church, not just here but across, across the country. Also, when you compare... What the IRS says the average American gives to charitable causes, it's around 2% too. You know what that says? First of all, it tells me that most churches, like ours, are underfunded. And most uh, church-going people who claim to be followers of Jesus are no more generous than the average pagan that never darkens the hall of a church. If that stings a little bit, okay, all right? 
here's, I'm, I'm, I'm in your grill right now. Here's for some of you. Some of you who walk in here and, and you never put anything in the offering plate or what you do relative to your income and what God has entrusted to you is nowhere close to a tithe. It's time to step up. It's time to step up. We will never achieve the mission that God has given to us as a church continuing to underfund this local body of believers. We will continue to struggle. We will continue to be understaffed. We have a great staff of people, many of them doing the jobs of one and a half to two people. But if all of us did our part, we're not talking about equal gifts. We're talking about equal sacrifice. You say, I'm not Barnabas. I don't have land to sell. I don't care. Wherever you are, 80% of our giving our business office tells me comes from people 50 and above. Young families, hello, all right? And I've heard all the excuses. I've lived through all the seasons of excuses. You're not going to reach a time where you can afford to tithe. It's going to be a step of faith. Listen, I'm in my 50s. It's the most expensive time of Catherine and I's marriage. I've got two kids in college right now. But it's not an excuse to cut back on our giving or to stop giving. Because we decided a long time ago, Jesus is going to be number one in our life. We decided a long time ago, Jesus is alive, and this has to transform every area of my life, including my finances. We put Jesus number one. You can't say he's number one in your life, he's first in your life if he's last in your budget. You just can't do that, friends. And it's just time for us to have a little conversation here, okay? Give me the freedom as your pastor to get in your grill a little bit and to bring to some level of awareness what's happening across the body of Christ, not just in Atlantic Shores, but in churches all across America. We are wealthy, but it's a, it's a, it's a decision. It's a, it's a prioritizing decision in all of our lives as you steward those relationships that, those resources before the Lord. And you'll never, I just trust me on this, you'll never get to a point where you say, oh, now we're wealthy and we have all this surplus. God will make sure that it's always a step of faith. And you take that step of faith and then watch him grab hold of your economic plan. And you'll be amazed at what he does. If you can't trust him with the tithe, he says, put me to the test. And put me to the test and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing to you. Quite frankly, Catherine and I, with not just two kids in college, but two kids in private college, I don't know how we make ends meet, okay? Some of it is planning over the years, but we didn't plan enough. Just, you know, it's a lot more expensive than we thought, okay? But God is still number one. We haven't reduced our giving. And I'm not asking you to do or challenging you to do something that I'm not doing myself and haven't lived through, young people, young families, the decades that you're just starting on. You can do this because it's a step of faith. And then let God take care of the rest. He can make 90% of what you bring in go a whole lot farther than you or I can make 100% or most Americans 110%. 70% of Americans today are living paycheck to paycheck and don't have $500 in the bank. Are you kidding me? And no wonder people are reaching out for a handout from the government. 
That's not the American dream, a handout. It's a hand up, okay? And that's called opportunity. But the church is not about the American dream, but we've brought that mentality into the church, and there are a lot of people walking into the church saying, it's fine if somebody else tithes, let them give their tithe plus mine, and I'll just hang out and enjoy all of this. I'm not talking to visitors. I'm not talking to unbelievers still investigating Christianity. We're having a family talk, okay? We're having a family talk. We're, we're in this together, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And, and we do that. We all do our part. Oh, my, what God will do. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding and abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. And believe me, as a staff, we're dreaming about a lot. But God says, yeah, I, you know, I, I tend to pay for this through, through my people. Because that intersection between your faith and your finances, I'm trying to shape them into the image of my son. And I'm using that little stuff called money to teach them about faith. And some of you need to grow in that area, and I'm just encouraging you there today. Let's move on to purpose number four. We have worship. We have uh, discipleship. We have ministry. Here's one. How about evangelism? Look inside the early church. The church goes to enlarge his reach. Why the word go? Well, it gets back to the mission of the church. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Implied in that? is sharing the gospel with lost people. By the way, one of the things that we say about a life group here at Shores, you say, well, what is a life group? What do we do in a life group? Well, we serve. It's an acrostic that spells S-E-R-V-E. S stands for spiritual formation. That's a Bible study and prayer time that you have together with a small group of people. E stands for evangelism. You see, our life groups, our small groups are not just holy huddles. We get outside of ourselves, we get outside of the four walls of the church, and we think strategically about how are we going to reach other people for Christ? How are we going to do evangelism in our neighborhood, in our community? R stands for recreation. I find that people who uh, play together, recreate together, they have deeper experiences and expressions of community. V is volunteer. Volunteer on the campus, on the weekends. It takes an army of volunteers to make all this happen. But we also encourage you to volunteer in your community. Volunteer at the soup kitchen. Uh, volunteer uh, as a coach in the Little League. Volunteer. Be the hands and feet of Jesus somewhere in your community and build relationships of integrity with people who don't know Jesus so you have an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And then E is kind of a catch-all for extending care to one another Okay? When life falls out from under you, you have a medical issue or a family crisis, you're connected in community with others who know you and love you and can respond, extending care, extending compassion through local outreach and local compassion projects, and extending to the ends of the earth, that's called missions. And we do all of that as we do life together in life groups. All of that to say the E is about evangelism. Okay? The church that goes. Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
They were giving birth to new believers in Jesus Christ. That should always be uh, a way to measure how healthy our church is. How many people came to faith in Christ this year? How many people have we baptized? I know the answer to that question in so many churches is a big goose egg. And the church has become a, a fortress and a big holy huddle and a group hug for the already convinced. And they've, they've lost their passion for, for lost people outside the four walls of the church, their neighbors, their communities. May we never lose that passion. We'll return to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones in just a moment. To listen to any of Ron's messages on demand, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, be sure to check out our new Something Good digital library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. You'll find those resources by using the library tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good only exists through the faithful prayer and financial support of listeners like you. Today as you give, we'll give you access to download the complete series you're hearing now, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. That's all 19 messages in Ron's teaching series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org, that's somethinggoodradio.org, or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices, 757-276-1099. And now here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Community Life. There's an interesting kind of math lesson in the book of Acts. It says in Acts chapter 2, you know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached his message and the Lord uh, added to their number daily those that were being saved. A little bit later in, in verse 47, uh, he uh, uh, added to their number uh, those who were being saved. Actually, in earlier, uh, they added 3,000 people, okay? And then it goes on to talk uh, in chapter 5 and in chapter 6 about how the Lord was adding to. And then by uh, chapter 9 or so, it just simply says the church multiplied, and I love that change in the, you know, the equation there. They didn't get to calculus, but they got from addition to multiplication. Why? Because disciples were making disciples. A professor of mine in seminary said years ago, you can either have a ministry of addition or a ministry of multiplication. And it's all about disciple making and disciples making disciples. Here's the fifth and final purpose. We call this Fellowship. Uh, the church, I say, is full of grace. We're a grace-filled community. Verse 42 says that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That word fellowship is a rich word in the English or the uh, original language, the Greek language. It's the word koinonia. Maybe you grew up in a church where they had the koinonia class. <laughs> you know, most churches did. And, and it's a wonderful word. It describes more than just uh, a Facebook kind of connection. It describes more than just, uh, you know, saying hi to your friend once a week. They, they, they did life together. They, they had deep, deep relationships. They, they took the relational risk to do more than just walk into church five minutes after the worship gathering started and, you know, scoot out the door five minutes before the end. 
Uh, they took that next step, and they, they gathered not just in the temple, but also house to house, and uh, they got to know each other and do life together. One author described two kinds of churches, and, and I like her analogy here. She says, some churches are like a bag of marbles. You know, the marbles are, are kind of hard, and they're cold, and, and uh, oh, they're beautiful on the outside, and if you shine the light in just so, they, they sparkle a certain way. But, you know, when you shake up that bag, they kind of clack and clutter and clink with each other. Some churches are like that. She says, other churches are like a bag of grapes. And, and those grapes, you know, when you shake up that bag and you look on the inside, it doesn't always look all that pretty because they're softer, they're more malleable, and now some of the juices are beginning to flow out. But, oh, wouldn't you much rather have a bag of grapes than a bag of, you know, cold, hard, clanking marbles? Let's be that, that kind of church. That's a bag of grapes. That's willing to be kind of broken bread and poured out wine and juice that flows into each other's lives because there's something about how God uses us, the iron sharpening iron, the grape juice, and I'm mixing my metaphors here, but the grape juice seeping into the lives of one another. And, and he uses that to transform us into the image of Christ even more and more. Friends, what I'm trying to uh, say to you this morning with as much passion as I can is, you know, about 30 or 40 years ago, there were some visionary people who came together in this part of Virginia Beach, and, and they planted a church called Atlantic Shores Baptist Church. Uh, they had all kinds of dreams about what this could be, and uh, they made some sacrifices back then of their time, of their talent, of their treasure. They gathered together. Uh, they, they, they were the church. They, they built a gospel outpost here in Atlantic Shores and here in Virginia Beach. And, and this, this place has shined brightly like a gospel lighthouse for almost four decades. Some of you were around during that time, perhaps. Most of us were not. Most of us are sitting here enjoying uh, the fruits of other people's sacrifices of time, talent, and treasure. But here we are as the stewards of this ministry in this time. There's no guarantee that this church will be here for the next generation. No guarantee it'll be here for your kids, for your grandkids, or for other lost people in the community once we're gone. If you have any doubts about that, just travel to Europe and visit the empty cathedrals that have been turned into museums and schools, and now many of them mosques. It's because there was a generation of Jesus followers who took their eye off the ball. The mission, why are we here? the purpose of the church, and do we have a strategy that aligns with God's purposes to do this thing called church? We are the generation that has to own this with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. I make uh, uh, no bones about it. It's going to take some sacrifice to keep this going, as, as it takes in any church, because we are the people that we, we can't just live off the momentum of 30 years ago. Every generation has to come along and own it and be the church, be the lighthouse now and in this community. And make sure that we pass this on to the next generation of not a church that's just surviving, but one that's thriving and reaches even more people for Jesus Christ 
and we pass it on from generation to generation until Jesus comes. That's the deep desire of my heart, and I know it is for yours as well. But I thought it'd just be good for us to come back as we study the book of Acts, take this little glimpse inside what happened 2,000 years ago, review the purposes of the church. Let's just review them quickly. Worship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship. Here's what we've done at Atlantic Shores. We, we take that and we've turned it into a strategy. We call it our five G's. Gather, grow, give, go, and do it within a grace-filled community. Can you say that with me? Gather, grow, give, go, and within a grace-filled community. You remember the five G's and you'll be well on your way to, to understanding what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it and how easy it is to, to plug in in these various ways as we carry out our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ who go and make disciples. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, Community Life. Well, Ron, we're now six days into your series on the Book of Acts. Take a minute, if you would, to talk about what we've covered so far and maybe what you've observed from these three messages in your series, A.D., Acts of the Apostles. Yes, and thanks, Brian. You know, there's a lot going on in Acts chapter 2, and I'm struck by how quickly things seem to fall into place. First, we have the supernatural birth of the church as the power of the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles a power that enabled them and enables us to go forth and do the work to which God has called us. And immediately, Peter delivers the first sermon of the church age. I mean, not a moment was wasted. And then again, immediately following Peter's sermon and the salvation of 3,000 people, we see this glimpse of what that body of believers began to do as members of the first Christian community. They didn't decide to hold some sort of strategy session. They didn't call in marketing experts to figure out the best approach to achieving their purpose. They didn't spend weeks and months in some kind of preparation stage. No, they immediately began to do that which they knew they ought to be doing. It's as if they knew instinctively what the body of Christ should look like and how it should function. There was an immediate sense of community, an immediate sense even of the fivefold purpose of the church. I'm talking about worship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, and fellowship. And as I look back at Acts chapter 2, I'm more convinced than ever that we need to return to these five foundational principles today. I'm not suggesting that the church is failing miserably. In fact, I've been encouraged by some creative ways we've seen the church step up during this time of battling the coronavirus crisis. But I do see some gaps between what the original church looked like and what the church looks like today. And so I would encourage our listeners to take a close look at their own home church and see if maybe, just maybe, there are one or two things that body of believers could do just a little bit better. Acts chapter 2 is the model, and I honestly believe we can and should make every effort to return to that model. I think it's the best model for us as believers. And I think it's the best model for those who are not yet believers. Amen, Ron. As William Temple said, the church is the only society that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. 
Well, coming next time, Ron moves ahead in his series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. And Ron, give us a quick preview before we go. Brian, the book of Acts is in some ways a book of firsts. We have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the first time. We have the first sermon followed by what amounts to the first altar call. Then we have a picture of what the first church looked like and how it functioned. And so next time, I'm really excited to talk about yet another first. It's the first miracle of the church age. Now, of course, Pentecost was a miracle all its own. But the miracle we find in Acts chapter 3 is the first one performed by an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed next as I continue my series, A.D., Acts of the Apostles. That's tomorrow in Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Beautiful Miracle. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.